We're going to start with the word reputation, and we're going to come back, and we're going to end with it. I want to share three little examples of reputation and have it be an encouragement to us and a caution at the same time. One of the things that's hung on for me since college, my undergrad degree being in computers, is making some websites, kind of like a small side business. And I'm basically closing it down now because I can't maintain more things. Too many irons in the fire. But there's a couple of people that I still keep their website up and running, um, that sort of thing. So one of them is just in this last week, he's closing down his account, he's moving to someplace else. And so he's very apologetic to me, like, I'm really sorry I'm taking my business away. And I'm like, that's great, he's taking his business away. We can put, to, put that iron out of the fire. But as he, we kind of concluded our conversation, he was thanking me for my help with his website. And he said, oh, by the way, when I called before, I got your voicemail. Did it say that you're a pastor? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And he said, where? I'm right here in East. Really? Because he's a, law, a lawyer at a law firm here in Easton. He's like, where? And so I say, oh, we're at New Hope Christian Chapel. Down here. I hear him clicking in the background. There you are. It's like, yeah. It's like, I never knew that. And he said, wait, New Hope, New Hope. Aren't you the church that's doing the foster care thing? He was the person who I shared about earlier. I'm like, yes, but we're starting like this Sunday, so I don't even know how you know that. He's like, oh, I'm good friends with Carol Allen. And she was talking about how you and she and the conversation and onward. So a couple of things in that moment struck me. I'm glad I had good integrity in my website business for the last couple of years because he was thanking me for being a good you know, employee, sort of. That's my role, you know, make a website that he wants. Um, but I didn't have to feel weird about the fact that he knew I was a Christian after all that time. So that was good. I was like, okay, thank you, God. The reputation for you was good. But it also struck me that our church will have a reputation for what we do as well in the community. And word of mouth is a powerful thing that, that kind of goes around. So he proceeded to say, oh, actually, my wife and I are foster parents. So if you'd ever want someone to be a resource or to come and speak or to refer people to if they have questions, we foster, you know, 14, 17 kids over the year. My wife is involved in the regional district. She goes to, like, national conferences and summits and all like. Okay, God, thank you for another contact in this field that you're calling us into. And actually, someone that I know pretty well, but we've never talked faith. It's always been business, and we've never, I never knew who was a believer. Not, okay, okay, God, connecting some dots here. I appreciate that. And then he went on to say, actually, and I'm getting more involved in church recently. Just five months ago, I became um, a member over at the Covenant Congregational here in Easton. So that's on Center Street. And he said, and strangely enough, yeah, they just appointed me to the position of the uh, deacon of outreach. I'm like, really? Really? So I'm going to have like a first name basis friendship with the deacon of outreach and the church down the street with a lawyer who does fostering who heard about our church because of what we're trying to do to serve. Like, weird, 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 weird. I want more weird stuff like that where we might be known for how we love people. But that's the encouragement. We haven't even started doing some of the things that God's calling us into, and he's already saying, this is good. There's fruit in this. There's a blessing. The caution is that all of a sudden, we kind of get big heads, you know, puff ourselves up. Look what our church is doing. Look how good we are. Wow, we're that church. Yeah, I'm a part of that church. Jesus said, you are a light and a city on a hill. Shine your light, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven, not us. So, church, as God's giving us opportunity to serve and as more and more of these connections get made, that's more opportunity to do 
good work for God. Every time someone comes to us and says, oh, you're that church, you're doing that good thing, be like, oh, it's God. Give the glory to God. We wouldn't be where we are. Do you think this church could exist without God's help? You think any of us could be saved if God wasn't doing miracles? No, no, and no. And you think anything that we'll try to do will have any value if it's not of God? No. Let's not rob God of his credit. Let's make sure the reputation goes to him, not to us. So that was just an awesome little conversation. And then I went to uh, L Street the other, or yesterday, and I bumped into a woman who's from Kingston, and she was helping out in the back pantry, organizing some, sh- some things. And she's like, oh, you're from that church over in Houston? Yeah, I've heard of you. Yeah, I heard some people talking about your church. Sounds like you have a really nice church over there. She's never been here. It struck me again, that word reputation. It's an encouragement, and it's a caution. We will have a reputation, and it better be giving God the glory, and it needs to be a good one. What are the works that we're showing? It's not about works. We could work all day, every day. It's about our love for God. It's about a God that is good, and he loves us so much that we're going to overflow, and hopefully that overflow is a good thing that can point people back to God. Okay, there's that reputation. I'm being reminded again of this. And then not, you know, 15 minutes later, I talked with our brother Lee, and he said, you know, I really appreciate New Hope because your people volunteering at L Street have really helped make it happen. The warming stations at night, a lot of us are serving. I appreciate you all for doing that. That's a beautiful thing. And in the kitchen and cooking and devos and lots and lots of other things, the clothing closet, that's happening but it's not happening everywhere. And so, you know, we're a part of something. We'll gain a reputation by our works, but we have to make sure that we're following what Christ said. We have to be biblical, right? Let your works shine. Let your light shine before men so that they might glorify your Father in heaven. So that's what brings us to today, to our message. And like I said, we'll bring reputation back at the very end again, hopefully. But my initial thought for this first Sunday, preaching a sermon that would head us into a season of serving, of thinking about the widows, the orphans, the fatherless, the lost, the lonely, all those sorts of things, my natural inclination was, okay, we should preach on some of those verses. Like from James, true religion is this, caring for the widow and the orphan and keeping yourself uncorrupted by the world. So, okay, God, I'll probably start there, right? That was my first thought. Well, as soon as I started looking at these verses, I started feeling really convicted. It was a log and a speck moment. Know what that is? (laughs) So Jesus said, be careful that you don't judge other people as if you've got it all together when you yourself have the same sort of problems. So what he says, Jesus' advice is not ignore people's problems, but look first into your own eye. And then you'll be able to see clearly so that you can help your brother with the plank or the speck, actually, in his eye. That struck me because I began to look at these verses on family and and loving and together and God as Father and all these things. I'm like, I don't think that we have these things figured out. So who are we to try to step into other dysfunctional families and welcome people into our dysfunctional families? Who are we to claim to be experts at things that we need a lot of work on? Let me show you what family is. And then we look in the mirror and we say, what is family? I can help you with what your needs are. And then we look and I have no idea what to do with my needs. 
This should, first of all, remind us that we're all the same. It's all grace, grace for all of us. Secondly, point us to God, because it's going to be him who's going to help any of us in family. But I think we need to begin a conversation about what family really is. If God is the head of a household, if we're all his kids, what does that family look like? Because if we can start with Scripture, we can start with our own families, then it makes sense that we have something that we've learned from God that we could say, oh, this applies now to something else. When you think about God as your father, what does that mean? What does it look like? How do you live that out? Are you a good kid? Is he a good dad? You talk? You spend time? Close relationship? We're probably all over the map. Everybody in the room here has many different places, and that's fine. But that is your relationship with God. How about within your nuclear family? If you live with siblings, with an elderly parent, if you have children, if you're married, if you're single, what does that look like? Do we love each other the same way that God loves us? How about within our church family? Church is hard, right? It's hard to stay connected. It's hard within our own families going in 10 million directions. It's hard to come together. Are we true family here? Well, the same principles, fortunately, apply no matter which family you're talking about. Godly characteristics, godly traits. And so I thought the place to start is for us to just say, what is a godly family? And as we're going through these things and thinking about them from Scripture, I want you to be thinking about you and God. What's that relationship look like? I want you to be thinking about the people that live in your house. What does that look like? I want you to be thinking about the stranger. If God's made every human, then he's the father of all. He's just got some wayward children. Are we family with the people around us? People that don't believe the way we do. People that don't do what we do, act the way we do. That's family too. And it'll apply, obviously, to this whole exploration into ministering to children, hopefully down the road, and families that are trying to build family. Well, what is family? So that's where we're starting today. Let me say a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 8. Father God, would you please speak to us about your household, what it means for you to be father, what your house looks like, what the adopted people in your family are and are meant to be. And help us to live for you. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Romans 8, 13 to 17. This is the passage I want us to read together. The other ones, as we go through these seven points, I'm just going to refer to them. You can look them up later. But this one I want you to see. This one I want us to look at ourselves. Have everybody put their own eyes onto this passage. Romans chapter 8, verse 13. So obviously in the New Testament, this is the Apostle Paul talking to the Christians, the church in Rome. He's describing living by the flesh, which is just living as a normal human. And then he's describing living by the Spirit, what it means to be filled with God's Spirit, live for God, be God's person. And he draws the contrast between the two. He says one is opposite to the other. You can't do both. And he describes it in terms of family. So yeah, we're in Romans chapter 8. Let's start with verse 13 and read through to 17. Just a few verses here. We'll think about them together. Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, sons and daughters, you know, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, daughters, children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. The inheritance is ours, heirs. Heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Again, we're all adopted. Everyone in God's family, everyone in Christ's family, everyone in the household of God, every believer is an adopted child to a father. They grew up in another house with different parents, different set of rules, different values, different identity of the world. Father, Adam, human. And then God said, I have a house with many rooms, and I love you, and I want you to come live with me. Be my child. I want to adopt you into my family. Extends the offer to every single human. And some say, no, I like the dysfunction that I know. I'm not low enough or desperate enough or intrigued enough. I don't want what you're offering. But some say, this family that I was born into, it is dysfunctional. It is broken. I don't want to be here anymore. So whatever it takes to change my name, to change my identity, I want to be adopted into your family. So they're adopted into the household of God, given a new name, new reputation. You're given new house rules. In our house, we live this way. You're given new benefits, protections, like God the Father is this almighty, all-powerful dad that now you have. And he treats you as his children with all of that wealth and all of that power for your benefit because he loves you. And when you screw up, it doesn't make you not a part of the family. You're just still part of the family because you have his spirit and you're an inheritor. You're in the inheritance. We're all adopted. So again, this sort of like log and spec thing struck me. Before we minister to adoptive or to foster children, let's recognize that that's who we are too. Every single one of us should recognize I'm in my father's house, but I still have some of the junk left over from my first family. I still act certain ways. I've got some habits, some thought patterns, but it's not who I am anymore. I've got a new name, legally changed, permanently changed. And I feel different. I've got a new identity but I still got some lingering junk. I want to get rid of that. I'm going to put to death the flesh. I'm going to get rid of those ways that I used to live. It's not what my father looks like. It's not who I want to be like when I grow up. I want to grow up to look like my new father. We're all adopted. New Testament, uh, the Greek word for house is oikos. And oikos is this, this household of God. It can mean the actual building, but more often it means sort of like all the people associated with it. Someone to come to Christ in the New Testament, them and their whole household, their whole oikos would be baptized and would believe. That's servants. That's, you know, the maids and the butlers, and that's the children, and that's the, the adults, the husbands and the wives, like everybody. Because as a household, we've got to transition from former to latter, from old to new. This is what it has to look like with you and God. If you grew up in the world knowing about God, that doesn't mean you're written into the inheritance any more than you knowing the next door neighbor who lives in a mansion means you're going to get a piece of that pie when that person dies and doles out the money. You will not. You're not in the family. We are first not in the family, and then we recognize the offer and recognize the sacrifice of Christ that allows us to become, and we say, okay. We put to death the old and we come to the new. 
So then our relationship with God is one of family. He's not just our boss. He's not just this wrathful judge. He's dead. By the Spirit, we cry, Abba. That's kind of like the, the endearing term in Aramaic for father, like daddy, like father. It's the close, hi, dad, you know, sit on his lap, that kind of thing, that love, that warmth. That's what we're supposed to have with God. But if I were to ask for a show of hands right now, myself included, I, we'd all have to admit, sometimes we feel like that, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we feel close to God, and sometimes we don't. But that's the same thing as living in your parents' house and locking your door. It doesn't mean you're not family, and it doesn't mean you're not technically close, because God is everywhere. We're not feeling close to God. Who is that on? It's not on God. It's on us. The petulant teenager who slams the door and locks it and blares their music inside, then is like, nobody loves me. Right? Family. We have to put it in terms that we can understand. But this is also how we act within our homes, actual houses. Are we family? If you write your name down for membership in a church, does that mean that you're family? Right? Like, how do you answer that? Yes, but not necessarily. Or yes, but doesn't always look that way. Or yes, but we're not always acting on it. If you marry someone, does that mean that you're family? Yes. But it doesn't always look like it. It doesn't always feel like it. So what's it supposed to look like? That's what I want us to think about today. Now you'll notice it doesn't say the seven steps to a godly family. I don't like step processes when it comes to faith. I don't like that. I'm, I'm resistant. I'm averse to that. Because that's saying that if you take these steps, if you do these things, you're going to end up with these results. You guys ever tried to tell God what you need to do and what he needs to do? And if you do this, he's going to definitely do what you say? That does not work. Almighty God, teeny, teeny little person, right? This is, this is God we're talking about. So what I want to describe is like paint a picture of what it looks like. How these traits here describe what we need to look like. And if we don't look like that, either means we're not in the family, we don't have God's Spirit helping us, or we never really knew what the family was supposed to look like, never had a great example, which is what Scripture is for, to set an example, or we're settling and we're lazy. So this morning, I want you to think about all these things as we talk about them. This is what the Bible paints the picture of the godly family. Is it what you look like with God? Is it what your house and your household look like? Is it what our church looks like? And every place or any place where it isn't, we say, well, do we have the spirit? Do we know? Do we want? Can't just do things and effort ourselves into holiness. God makes us holy. But we've got to know what it looks like. And we've got to pursue it and pray for it. So this is our descriptive painting of what our families could look like. If we're going to ever be a blessing to anyone else's family, we have to look like the redeemed holy people of God that the Bible paints the picture that we're supposed to look like. Love. Jesus said, this is my command, that you love one another. I'm tired of hearing the expression, well, I love them, but I don't have to like them. If you can show me where that is in Scripture, I'll buy in. I think we're supposed to have affection for one another, not just service. A warm spot in our heart. 
God's got a warm spot in his heart for some cold-hearted people. We're supposed to have a warm spot in our heart for each other, for the people in our house, for the kids that are, you know, talking back to us, for the relatives that are mocking us, for the parents that are demeaning us, for the neighbors that are judging us, for the... Is there love? Because if there isn't, none of the other six matter. And it's not just service in terms of like a workman mentality. Okay, I'm going to do the right thing. I know I'm supposed to love people. It's not just agape love in the sacrificial. I can sacrifice. Truly have compassion on people. Isn't that what Jesus did? He actually had compassion. His heart felt for people. Our heart doesn't look like that when you say, is the spirit in me? If it is, did I know that this is what it's supposed to be? If it is, God, I want this. Help me grow in that. Is there love in your home? Parents to children, are you the taskmasters? Are you the enablers? You know, which end of the spectrum are you? Or do we love them the way God loves us? How about listening? A second trait, listening. James says, be quick to, be slow to, and be slow to become angry. A real family listens to one another. A real family asks, how are you feeling? And then shuts up and lets the other person speak for once. If we're real family with God, we need to do just as much sitting quietly as we do. This is what I need, God. I need this, I need this, help me with this, help me with this. Talk, 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 talk. And God's like, I would love to get a word in edgewise. How's your listening with God? I bet you could look at that and say, that's a good descriptor of what your relationship is like with God. Not just we can bring our cares to him, but we let him speak. And if we don't have the spirit, that can't happen. So if we're not there, then that's that. But do you know that that's what it's supposed to look like? Be aware. No. And want it. If we're in the slow, sleepy mode with God, just next time you pray, say, God, what is it that you want to say? Put the anger away. Put the speaking away. And be quick to listen. You'd be amazed how well this works with spouses as well. Honey, what do you think? You'd be amazed at how well this works with kids. They actually have little minds. They're like, kind of like little humans almost. It's strange. They can think and they can say, and they're actually profound little humans in many ways. You could just ask your kid what they're thinking. And when they say nothing, when you ask how their day is, and they say, fine, okay, you tried. But maybe you can draw it a little bit more than that. Maybe you can learn from your kids. Works remarkably well with strangers. Instead of needing to talk, 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 tell, 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 try listening to someone. You ever think how amazing it is that God would actually bother to listen to us? He's telling us this is what family does. Family listens. So listen. All right, love, listen, serve. Jesus washed people's feet, and then he said, I've set you an example so that you would do likewise. Humbly serve the people around you. Humbly serve God. Humbly serve God. Between you and him, do things that no one else knows about. Humbly serve your spouse. Go and do something for them without wanting any thanks in return. Just serve them. Serve your kids instead of asking them to go and do something for you. Serve the people around you instead of, why did my neighbor do this for me? What did you do for them? Go and serve. This is what the family of God looks like. 
serve. But don't just do it with, you know, actions. Share. Talk. Take a teachable moment with your child when they say something about someone at school or when they share something about themselves. Be like, you know what? I had something happen to me once. Or you know what? I remember this verse in the Bible that says something about that. Or you know what? Share your heart. And it's not like sit down, we're going to have class, class is in, although we should take intentional times, but just open up. Share the love of God in you with them. That will foster family. Spouses, we get into the locked doors thing sometimes and there's no communication happening. Share. This is what I feel God's saying to me. What do you feel God's saying to you? And then listen. And have affection in your heart for them as you go. Church family, listen to one another. How are you doing? How are you doing? Love one another. Share what God is doing. Otherwise, we will be all the kids locked in their own rooms. Serve, share, recognize. Bible says, I know your works full well. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Every single one of us was designed by God beautifully with amazing strengths and qualities and thoughts and personalities. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. I think one of the biggest jobs of a parent is to recognize those things in your kids and be like, you're good at that. You have this trait. You might not think that's weird or that's um, unusual or special, but nobody's like that. You're amazing in that way. It's the role of the church as well to look and be like, do you know how gifted you are? Do you know how God just used you in someone else's life? Recognize. Be amazed at how well this works with strangers. You see someone do a kind deed and you say, you know what? That's beautiful. I love how you helped that person. Recognize we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We do that, that makes us family. Church, that makes us with God. Recognize God, his traits. Recognize our lowliness, our humility, and it puts us into right relationship. It creates and fosters and nurtures family. Pursue. Jesus says, which one of you have 100 sheep and one runs off? Who will leave the 99 to go pursue the one who was lost? And when he finds the one, there'll be more rejoicing over the one that was saved than the 99 who never wandered in the first place. Pursue God. Don't wander. Pursue your spouse when you guys are estranged. Go after them. Pursue your children. Pursue your neighbors. Pursue your church family. Don't let it be six weeks before you talk to someone again. Don't let it be two months before you say, where's that person at church? Don't let it be two years before you invite your neighbor to a cookout. Pursue. It's the whole gospel. God pursued us even though we didn't deserve it. He sent his son to come after us. That's what family does. Nobody gets left behind. And if they do, it's because they're kicking and screaming and clawing and scratching to stay there, not because we left them. But we leave each other all the time. We ignore, we get busy, we get unfocused, we get distracted, we get frustrated, we get annoyed, and we just do our own thing. Not family. Not how God does it. Not what he does for us. So don't do that for him. Don't do that in our households. Don't do that as a church. Don't do that with the world because you're going to end up with just what everybody else has got. We're not looking for what everybody else has got. That's old man stuff. We're looking for what God's household is supposed to look like. This is the picture that we're supposed to see when we look in the mirror. The last one, pray. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It says if you, as evil people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks? Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. Pray without ceasing. You know that Jesus is praying for you right now? The Bible says he's in heaven interceding on behalf of the saints. Anything about that? Like with God, interceding, saying, Father, can you look at this? It's one of my brothers and sisters here. Can you help them out? 
Oh, can you, can you forgive them? for He's interceding. Do you do that for the people in your household? Do you do that? Do I do that for the people in this church family? Do we do that for our brothers and sisters that do not believe in the Father God, even though the Father God is standing here saying, my house has got plenty of room? Please, please repent, confess, and be a part of my house. If these things aren't here, it may be because we're not saved. Because you can't expect someone who's not of God to have the ability to look like God. That's not how it works. We can't fake it. God sees through that. God cannot be mocked, Scripture says. But there are many of us that really have been adopted into God's family. We weren't his children. We are. But we don't know what it's supposed to look like. We don't talk about what it's supposed to look like. We don't dig into Scripture to know what it's supposed to look like. Well, at least in these areas today, and at least for these warm bodies in this room, now we have no excuse to not know. You are now responsible, and I'm now responsible. Every single one of these things, and so what's left is just desire. We care enough to pursue living into our identity for who we really are as children of God. We want to look like, we want to look like him. That's the kind of lives that will be transformative. That's transformed when we listen and when we have affection for people, when we serve anyone and when we share what's in our heart and we talk, when we recognize who someone is and just speak that to them so that they can grow into the vision that God has for their gifts. We see our kids, we see strangers. We pursue someone because they matter, because it's family, that's what family does. And we just make everything revolve around, everything be encompassed in, everything be submerged in, everything be infiltrated because it's God. This is when our reputation will match our identity. I pray for that day. I want our reputation to match our identity. Because it's full well possible that we'll see God one day and be like, you're my child, but man, you missed every opportunity. He still loves us. That's grace. We don't have to get perfect before we get to heaven. But let's live into that identity. Let our reputation match our identity. And church, believers, this is who you are. That's who you are. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who you are. It's us. How awesome is that? What a gift to the world we have become because God loved us enough to make us better than what we were. We just need to live to it. The Bible uses the phrase, live according to the Spirit. We already have the Spirit if we believe. We need to live that way, folks. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Please join me in passionately living this way so that we can have any hope of any influence and effectiveness reaching the world around us with the God who reached us first. Music team, please come forward. Let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll close with a song. Father God, we confess to you that we haven't always lived according to your word. And that temptation and evil and our our own will again and again crop up. But we turn to you again this morning and ask for your blessing. I pray for anyone who doesn't know you here, Father, who does not have your spirit's help in their heart. Draw them into your house. Reach out to them powerfully in a way they wouldn't be able to deny Give them the spirit that makes any of this possible. For all of us, open our eyes to what we're supposed to look like. 
for all of us. Give us a passion, a desire, a drive. Align our drive with your drive. Align our desires with your desire. Align our will with your will so we could want this so badly because we believe it so fully. Thank you for your son. I thank you for the cross. I thank you for things being made new. I thank you for your spirit in our hearts and in our church. Father, I just put before you right now as a confession every time that we have not loved our children, our brothers, our sisters, our spouses, our parents, our church family members, our leaders, our neighbors, our enemies, the way that you love. Help us to embody the traits that are supposed to define our identity. Confess it before you, Father. We know we make mistakes. We know we fall short. We thank you for your grace. Build us up again. Lift us up again. Use us this day, this week, to pursue these things in the world that you're sending us out to. We pray it all in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.